Have you ever felt stuck in a cycle of negative thinking? Have you ever struggled to reframe your thoughts and drown out the sound of self-criticism and self-doubt? Cognitive behavioral therapy, known as CBT, is a form of psychotherapy that focuses on your emotions, behaviors, and thoughts. Welcome to Normalize the Conversation. I'm your host, Francesca Reichter, and today I'm joined by diversity, equity, and inclusion advocate, Marie Beecham. Join us as we discuss CBT and the various interventions that helped us reframe our negative thoughts. Marie, thank you so much for joining me today for this podcast episode. But before we begin, I really just want to check in with you. How are you really? I love that question. I am. That makes me think of um, when I was asking my friend that I asked, how are you? And she's like, oh, nothing's new. And I was like, no, no, no. How are you? And she's like, yeah, same old, same old. And so many people, I think, miss, like, confuse the questions of how are you and what have you been doing? And I think they're very different questions. So how am I really? Um, Really, I'm doing very well um, in terms of like, I feel really proud of how I've been running my life. I feel very, uh, yeah, I, I don't know how how in, in depth to go, but I feel generally content. And, and I was gonna say the word stable. That sounds like I'm usually like unstable, but stable. <laughs> Such good words to be. It's yeah. so hard to like know how to answer that question, yeah. right? Like how deep do I go? Do I answer right. honestly? Do I not? Because it's yeah. become so like stigmatized in a way to just answer, how are you? And I love what you said about your friend, just like misunderstanding the question. I had a friend the other day, we were like in the elevator and I randomly was like, so how are you? And she was like, I'm fine. And then just went back to like playing on her phone. I was like, no, no, no. I took the phone out of her hand. I was like, (laughs) how are you? Like, I was like, I feel like something's up. Like, how are you? She was like, yeah, I'm not okay. And I'm like, "Mm, let's talk about it. If you want to, I'm here. But it's so easy to like just ignore that question, blow it off and never Mm -hmm. give yourself a chance to just check in with yourself. Yeah, totally. It's so important that we do check in, but I'm really excited to learn more about you and your mental health journey. So do you want to jump in? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So for a little background, um, I speak a lot about, I speak and I write on things related to race and racism. For the listeners, I am a Black woman, and I talk a lot about my experience growing up Black in a predominantly white area. Um, And so my mental health journey, I had a great childhood, great upbringing, like all things fantastic. But a little later in life, things started to get a little bit more difficult, more challenging. Um, And I would say that especially a few years ago, maybe like four-ish years ago, um, I really started to struggle with my mental health. I struggled a lot with fear and anxiety. And it had a lot to do with like big picture societal tension. So like here I was um, talking about race and racism And that was a really stressful, serious thing, a brain space to be in all of the time. And then as more and more people started tuning into what I had to say, I was met with more backlash and more criticism. And basically, um, I would, looking back now, I'll use the the words I've learned, but I, I see how I really had a pattern of having a lot of cognitive distortion where my thoughts were a bit distorted and they didn't fully play out. And it was, it was a really defensive kind of mindset. Um, so like one example would be if we're in like a class discussion in like sociology 
or something like that. And somebody sees some sort of social issue differently than I do. I felt really attacked and scared of that person. Felt like I wasn't safe in that place anymore. And um, all of those things. But in reality, I was perfectly safe. And I was able to like voice my opinion too. Um, if we had any kind of conflict relating to a political issue, a social issue, something related to race, I felt so anxious about it. So fearful, so angry. Um, and basically, the, the thing that changed everything for me in my mental health journey um, was something called cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. Um, and CBT changed my life. It was amazing. Um, and I had been in traditional therapy before and that served different purposes at different times. Um, but when it came to CBT, it was this self-guided therapy that I could also do with a therapist, but primarily it was about teaching me the skills to manage those situations the 24 hours of my day. So that way I wasn't going a whole week just waiting until I could see my therapist again. But like I was my therapist, like it was great. And I was always there. I was always with me. Um, and so basically cognitive behavioral therapy for listeners who aren't familiar, um, it contradicted everything that I had assumed about how to look out for my mental health. So I had assumed that, you know, if my thoughts are intensely sad or intensely fearful, then that means that my situation is very sad or my situation must be dangerous. But CBT teaches you how to like interrogate your thoughts to investigate and not just assume that they're true, but actually consider that they might not be true. And so it teaches you these skills for basically my thing that I was always saying to myself is like, my feelings are not always valid because my mind is lying to me sometimes, you know? So just because I'm afraid in this situation does not mean there's danger. And just because that like whatever it might be. And that felt like good news. And it sounds bad to say my feelings aren't always valid, but it like makes me chuckle um, because it's so backwards of like, I don't know what I, what I've always told myself. Um, and then the other part of cognitive behavioral therapy is the behavioral part, which is, has a lot to do with exposure. So exposing yourself to the things, the situations that make you anxious. And so for me, that was exposing myself to a lot more conflict and disagreement not storming out of a room or cutting somebody out of my life, but really leaning in. And um, with time and exposure, then, yeah, my fears melted away and things that used to seem terribly awful and impossible became really doable. So that's my overall journey. I hope that wasn't too long-winded. Oh, that was amazing. I love CBT, first of all. I think that that was a real game changer for me too, because a lot of times my mind was lying to me and I was yeah. creating this whole story in my head that the world was yeah. ending at a time where it was like, no, you just got to be on a test and it's going to be okay. Or yeah, you're just yeah. disagreeing with someone, they're not going yeah. to punch you. Like it's okay. Right, right, right. And a big thing in CBT that helped me was just this idea of like, when you have some fear that's not rational, a lot of the times you don't play it out, you know? So like with something like a conflict, oh my gosh, they're upset with me. This is terrible. This is dangerous. Okay. Play it out as a movie in your mind. What would happen if this continued? And then you're like, uh, I don't know. They'd punch me in the face. And it's like, no, you know, that's not how the movie's going to go. You know it that that's not realistic. And so even seeing your thoughts all the way through seeing what your expectations are and assumptions are helps you to just realize like, oh my gosh, this is not, this is not what I think it is. And that's good news. Yes, exactly. And then being able to catch it earlier. Yeah. I think the, my favorite part 
of going through CBT was that moment where I would recognize like, no, this is me. This is completely Mm -hmm. me right now. I'm okay. It's okay. Like I'm in control again. Because before it was like, I would, I'd freak out. I'd start hyperventilating. I could not catch my breath. I thought someone was going to attack me. And really they were just like, don't do that again. Yeah. Yeah. And then getting to a point where I would recognize like my heart rate starting to get really fast. And I'm like, no, like I'm okay. This is okay. And I'm in control of the situation. I can now respond to people and have a conversation. I think for me, that was like my favorite moment where I was like, I can actually continue this conversation and not shut down right here, right now. Yeah, you know, that's funny you say your favorite. I I have a lot of favorites. And I honestly don't talk about CBT stuff all that much. Um, But yeah, it was so life-changing. I think probably one of my favorite things is that like when I was in therapy and first learning the ropes of CBT, um, I was creating these goals for myself. And it was like an aha moment when I realized that all of these things that I'm trying to learn, these skills and the tools and all of it, It's not just so I could be free from anxiety. I want to be free from anxiety. But then I started to see past that to say, but what do I want to be free for? What do I want to be free to do? So it's not just about like being free from anxiety. It's like, okay, I break those shackles. Then what do I want to be free to do? Free to have the conversations that used to scare me. Free to enter the situations that I used to avoid. So that was like all the more empowering of like, I want to be free from this so that I can be free to do that. Um, and it just, it put everything into perspective is remembering like why I was on that. Yes, that why, like why I'm doing this, why I'm going through and countering all my negative thoughts because it's so much easier to believe them. Like to be completely yeah. honest, it is so much easier to believe every negative thought about yourself than it is to be like, nope, that's not right. Let me learn to love myself and be confident in myself and change that whole automatic negative process. Mm-hmm. A very difficult thing to do. So to have mm-hmm. that why to keep you going and to keep you motivated through it is so important. I know for me, a lot of it came down to just wanting to be able to finish a conversation without needing to like run away like I hit that fight or flight and I I was out of there like I literally Mm -hmm. had to leave the room would not be able to talk to anyone for a couple days like I just could Mm -hmm. not handle like that level of fear that I was having so to have that why to keep me going was probably the only reason I was willing to change that start believing in myself I guess yeah. And to to endure all the discomfort of trying to make that change. Because like you said, once a pattern is in place, it takes so much extra effort to like turn things around. But even when you're learning the new um, thoughts and you're learning to check, you know, whether they're true and all that stuff, I was always like hoping for and looking forward to the day when the better thoughts, the truer thoughts, the more accurate thoughts would be the ones that are second nature. You know, I was like, this is really effortful right now. It's really effortful for, there was one summer where like CBT was my focus, but I wanted it to be my focus that summer because I wanted it to become second nature to me soon enough so that it wouldn't be so effortful. And so I used to always write out, um, I learned like a T chart and I'd write down you know, whatever my thought is. And on one column, I do evidence supporting that thought. And in the other column, I do evidence against that thought. So if the thought is like, the thought is this conversation um, is terrible. Mm, Where's that going to, it's dangerous. Okay. What's the evidence supporting it? Well, my heart rate is up and 
I feel uncomfortable and I don't like these conversations. You know, that's the evidence for why I think that way. But then writing out the evidence against it of, well, why might you be incorrect? It's like, well, my conversations never end in danger. So that's one thing. Um, I thought this before during a conversation and it ended up going fine. That's another thing. And I would write out that T-chart and I would do that daily with whatever thoughts I had that seemed a bit distorted and... I remember being so thrilled when I could do all that on the fly. Like it was, I was able to do the T-chart in my mind. I didn't need to write out all the evidence, like like what you said, stopping the thought early before it would really take hold or even become that convincing. That was so, so exciting to get to that point. It is so exciting. I love the T-chart. I know mm-hmm. for me, that's something that's so helpful is writing it down. Yeah. I always envy the people who do everything in their head like they can do math in their head can't do it had to write it down even if I was just like (laughs) writing it like this I had to do it I'm putting my hand in the air for people who are listening I have to visually see it I'm not that person who can just do things in my head at least not in the beginning it takes a long time to get to that point so writing everything down was game changer for me I remember my very first journal like post psych word was these like, I think it started with a quote of something that like reminded me of how I was feeling that day. I was really into quotes. I love it so much. Uh And it was like three like things that I considered bad in my day and then three things I considered good in my day and then how I could reframe each bad into one of those good pieces. Mm -hmm. And like that helped me see that like, oh, I thought that my cousin not hanging out with me was bad, but I hung out with my brother instead and I was happy. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it was my whole life ruined because someone canceled plans with me no um does that mean everyone hates me no I was with my brother who enjoyed spending time with me so being able to actually like match them together and see where those negative thoughts were and how like the good things that happened kind of countered it really helped me get to that place where I can now have something happen I'm not saying I'm really great at this all the time (laughs) still a big work in progress four years in but now I get to the point where something like happens and I'm like, like someone can cancel plans on me and I'm like, oh, they don't want to hang out with me. What did I do? And I'm like trying to question every single piece of my life. And I'm like, no, it's okay. What am I going to do that's going to make me feel happy instead? Like, yeah. what am I going to do to not let this thought become every insecurity ever coming out down like the rabbit right. hole? Right. Yeah. That That's so good. That made me think of like four things. Which way to go? Um. um yeah, that's really relatable. That's such a good thing. I like how you're talking about taking negative thoughts and making them more positive. Because I think when I first started, that's like why I always joke about, that's why I said that I like to say my feelings aren't always valid. When I first started with CBT stuff, the idea of replacing my negative thoughts with positive thoughts, it seemed like it was not giving enough credit to my negative thoughts. Like I was defensive. I wanted to hold on to them because, you know, I'm probably kind of right. They're probably kind of true. And it felt wrong. It felt like I was, I don't know, like not respecting myself enough to hold on to these negative thoughts that seemed true at the time, you know, but realizing I had to let go of that, of like, no, objectively, these positive thoughts will be better for you. Like, I pridefully wanted to think whatever I want to think and I'm right about it and I'm entitled to what I want to think. But I realized that like what I really, really want is to think thoughts that are conducive to a full and fruitful life. And so when I would be in these like negative thought loops for like a hot second, I would defensively hold on to them like a little bit tighter to be like, well, because I can, because I can be negative. I can think what I want. I can do what I want. And then I'd have to like check myself and be like, 
yes, you can, but should you, <laughs> you know, like, like the fact that you are allowed to, and the question of whether it's best for you, those are two different things. And so I, I really like what you had to say about positive thought placement. It's so, I think for me, like that fight in the beginning, like not wanting to let it go was, I hate it when people like, oh, think positive. And I'm like, I can't, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't want to, like, leave me alone. Like, yeah. I think it was like that kind of like anger I had toward like the whole yeah. positive thought idea. I was like, no. Yeah. I was like, I can't just think it positive away. That's not how it's going to work. Right. Like, I would get so right. frustrated by it. So I would tell myself, like, shift it to a sense of encouragement and try to mm. get rid of that word positive. For some reason, mm. the word positive yeah. was just, I took it so negatively. Don't know yeah. why. But as soon as you can start to restructure those thoughts in whatever way makes sense for you and works for you. If you like the word positive and that helps you, more power to you. If you can't use the word positive because it triggers you like me, maybe the uh -huh. word encouragement may help. Maybe there's another word. But yeah. finding ways to restructure can really help because like we've been saying, those negative thoughts, I mean, they're so natural. They're so easy to believe. We kind of want to believe them in a way because we all are our own biggest critic, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're so used to criticizing our ourselves and telling ourselves the ways we need to be better, comparing ourselves to everyone and everything. It's so easy difficult to want to change those thoughts so when you mm -hmm. get to that point when you're ready to put in all that work doing it in a way that makes sense for you that's going to make you feel comfortable through the discomfort I think is the most important piece yeah I totally know what you mean about like the word positive um I would always dislike being told to be positive because I'd always say like when when sometimes when someone has like that kind of advice for you I would be like, I don't need fantasy. Like, stop trying to like carry me off into fantasy land where I pretend that everything's all chipper and perfect. Um, but I, so I never liked the whole idea of like doing some fantasy positive spin thing. But I loved the idea of fact. Like I felt like, you know, before my CBT journey, I felt like the ground was moving beneath my feet and I just needed stability. And so the idea of using these skills and these tools to figure out what the, the true facts are, that felt like finding out the stability again, the stability in my situation that even if my perception of it is all skewed and distorted and intense, there is a truth here to get to the bottom of. You know, like you said, it could be relational conflicts. Like my mind could spin and spin on, yeah, someone canceling on me or something like that for a whole week. But if there's a truth to get to the bottom of here, there's something I can do to, to stop that spin. And um, my thing that I'd always say, kind of like your version of the word encouragement, my thing was always the truth is good news. Like whatever the truth is, most of the time, because I had a little negative habit, the truth was better news than how I felt about things. So I'd always task myself with getting to the truth of the matter and remembering that the truth is going to be good. News. I love that. I mean, I think it's so important to look at the truth. Like, for example, if you and I are sitting in the same room from two opposite, we're on two opposite ends of the room and something happens in the room, the same exact thing happened, but we both saw it differently just based yeah. on our perspective. So we can argue about what happened all day based on the perspective, but what happened, like what ha the fact of what happened is the fact of what happened and being able mm -hmm. to separate yourself from that perspective of I can only see yeah. it from my angle, my corner to I can see what actually happened and be I mean, even if it's bad, like, even if the fact of the matter is someone didn't want to hang out with me because I was mean to them and I hurt them, like I can't move forward and be a better person if I don't accept the fact. If right. someone canceled on me because I did something wrong, like I would, 
I hope that I would want to know that and want mm-hmm. to do better and apologize. Um, so even like if the fact seems like the worst case scenario, like what if they are mad at me? What if I am wrong? Like, wouldn't you rather? I don't know. For me, like, I feel like I would yeah. rather know that I did something wrong and then have the opportunity to want to be better and do better and to learn right. than to sit there and be like, I want to stay in my thoughts and allow them to drive me down a rabbit hole because I'm afraid to find out if I am or am not a good person. Like I'd rather know the truth and then start working toward changing it. I think I really went off topic for a bit. No, no, you didn't. You didn't at all. Because like, I think about when it comes to relationships and my friendships, there's just this policy of like, Hey, I need to trust that anything that should be talked about will be talked about. And that brings such a big peace of mind. So like my friends and I will talk about everything under the sun. We'll talk about, you know, little things like how we're feeling, personal things like career decisions, political things, social issues. And as long as we have the policy that like, hey, if I do anything at all to hurt you or upset you, can I trust that you'll tell me? When they tell me yes, and they like make that commitment to me, it brings me such a peace of mind because that in itself can stop the thought pattern of wondering because I'm like, actually, they they can made a commitment to me. They made a promise to me. And so anytime I spend wondering about, you know, if there's something they haven't said, either I'm assuming that they're not holding up the promise, which isn't fair. I'm going to assume that they did. Or like the other thing is if they decide it's not worth bringing to me, then that's their way. Even if they do have like a minor issue, they've decided they don't want it to be my problem. Like maybe it's a them thing and they want it to stay there. And then that's fine. Like that's also not my business. And so I find that the like open communication policy puts my overthinking mind to rest. I get so much peace from that. The relationships where I know that we can do conflict and I have like a little dance party. Whenever I have a new friend, once we've reached the threshold of conflict, I am so happy about like, you know, even if one time they can say, I'd rather not go to that restaurant or I'd rather, you know, we don't do this. Or actually I think this, I'm always so glad because we've reached a point where, you know, we've, I'm like, heck yes. Now I can trust that they will tell me the truth, even if they think it's not exactly what I want to hear. So that gives me a peace. Oh, I love that. It's so important to, I think for, I'll say for like my, for my friends, like it's so important to have that honest communication Mm -hmm. because I'm one of those people who will go down that rabbit hole and question every single thing, everything I said, if we have like a deep conversation, I think for a long time, I only had surface level conversations with people because I was so afraid, like, what if I say the wrong thing? Or what if we have different opinions? Or like, what about this? What about this? And like, I would kind of go down the rabbit hole. I feel like I only watched Alice in Wonderland or something. (laughs) I'm trying to figure out why that's in my head right now. But like, it was so, I was so afraid to have deep conversations. So it's like, what if we disagree? What if they get mad at me if they never talk to me again? And then I was like, I mean, it took me a long time to get a lot of therapy to get to the point where I was like, if we have a disagreement that's so big that they don't want to talk to me again, that I don't want to talk to them again, maybe that is not a friendship that is needed in my life. Because if we disagree on something and we can't talk about it, talk it through, understand each other's points of view and be able to support each other through it if one of us is deliberately refusing to have a conversation and we're being mean or judgy or attacky in any way shape or form or causing harm to someone else that's probably not like neither of us deserve that I don't deserve a friend like that they don't deserve a friend like that so getting to a point where I wasn't so afraid to have deep conversations but jump into them and know that like be honest if I upset you let me know 
And mm-hmm. I'm still that person that will ask afterwards if I say something and I watch someone's face change and I'm like, yeah, did I, did I upset you? Like, well, how, how did you hear what I said? Yeah. Like, let me know how you heard it. Is that what I meant? And if it upset you, tell me why right now. Right. Because I have friends who we have very different opinions on so many different things. And like I, my one friend, her grandmother and I went at it bad because it was just like a political conversation that we came from very opposite perspectives on. And like, it was like, I was at her mom's house, my friend's mom's house, and her grandmother and I just went at it. And then afterwards, I had to walk over and be like, okay, like, I'm sorry, because I probably attacked a bit more than I should have based on your point of view. I was like, are you mad at me? (laughs) First of all, I was like, I did not mean to be mean. I probably should have done a better job conveying my argument without yelling. I yep, agree. Probably. <laughs> probably, right? I probably should not have yelled. That was a very disrespectful thing for me to do. And mm-hmm. will I own up to it? Yes, apparently. So, <laughs> right? Like, I'll own up to what I mean. Like, I, yeah. and I hope that I always do. If you ever catch me being mean in some way, I don't care how long from now it is, people, please call me out. I like yeah. to learn. But I was like, mm-hmm. I probably did not need to yell. I know that our perspectives are different based on age, based on our circles, based on so many mm-hmm. different things, based on our life experiences. Right. But I was so afraid in my head of like leaving that conversation where it was like, what if they're mad at me forever? I would have before refused to have the conversation and stayed silent when someone was saying something I disagreed with. Have I learned how to do it properly yet? Still working on it. Right. However, it's getting to that point. I think I feel like I've gone in so many circles. I'm so sorry. But to that point where you can have a deep conversation and then get to that point where you can let it go and walk away from the conversation and still yeah. check in with yourself. I mean, check in with them. For me, I have to because I will go down the rabbit hole of all the things I said, how I said it, how I shouldn't have said it instead like own up to it in the beginning and say, I definitely could have been so much more respectful. You are like 80 and I'm 20 something. Yeah. There's no reason for me to yell at you based on an opinion no and belief that no you have. Reason. So But it's learning how to and learning how to own up to when you do it wrong so that you don't allow those thoughts to take you down. Yeah. And I, I, like I said, kind of near the beginning of like, I think that a big thing that like my fears and anxieties were around was like you said, political issues or social issues. And, um, you know, you talked about, you got mean when it came to that stuff. And so many people do because those are things that people have really strong convictions about. And in any conversation, I even wonder too, it's so easy to either be totally silent or to be an angry, mean, yelling person. How do you navigate graciously sharing your perspective and humbly listening? Like it's not an easy thing. It's, it takes like more maturity than, well, you think you're mature and then you get to that moment and then you realize you're not as mature as you'd like to think, you know? Um, and yeah, that I felt like my attitude toward political things and differences in worldview and all that stuff, it led me to be like afraid of the people who, like you said, I had different experiences from. It led me to be hostile and like angry toward them. And it was really like the focus of my, a lot of my mental health issues. And, you know, I feel like it happens a lot during like election seasons and things like that. And when like political issues are everywhere and it's really easy to get caught in this pattern of doom. And then when the issues come up or whatever, it seems like you have a battle, right? You're on a battle and you need to win it or else. And so then you start yelling or then you start being disrespectful or then you like quietly sneak out, but then you're so sad about it for the rest of the week. Um, And I think that 
when it comes to all of these things, uh, yeah, for me, being more open-minded about different views helped relieve a big burden for me because once I started to understand how decent people, I used to think like, oh, only decent people vote like me, think like me, see these issues the same way that I do. You know, if I'm one of the good guys, then I know where the other good guys stand too. Um, But someone tasked me with like, hey, learn about the other side and keep learning until you think that they have a really good point. Um, And I tried to do that and, you know, not going to like the scummiest parts of the other side, but going to like the intellectuals, the scholars. And once I was able to do that, then when somebody indicated in some way that they see things differently than I do, it didn't like pop up that argument that argumentative side of me, but instead I was able to still see them as a whole person, a decent person, understand how a reasonable person with like good intentions could arrive at a different conclusion than I did. And in that way, it relieved me from a lot of my anxiety from being around people who thought differently than me. And it relieved me from a lot of my anger and frustration and hopelessness. Because when you think that as long as people see things the way that you do, they're good. But if they see things differently, they're bad. Then you're filled with despair because then you think like half of the country is bad people. And then like, you're going to have a bad day every day, you know? And so I needed to be able to get to a place where, yeah, I still have convictions. You know, I, I talk about social issues as my job. I, I must have some pretty strong opinions. And yet the only way I can continue to care about these things is by caring about myself and the best way I can care for myself is thinking well of others and not needing to belittle them, resent them, all those other things. Because I realized that that was really burdening my overall emotional state. And those attitudes were weighing me down quite a bit. So that kind of like relates to like the journey I talked about at the beginning of the episode. But that, that's that been a big part of my own mental health. I really love how you brought up that like you would think 50% of the country is bad. And mm-hmm. When we do have, I mean, that has become a very popular notion is like, you vote this way and you're good, you vote this way and you're bad. Mm -hmm. And it has created a, thinking of the word to use, it's created an increased likelihood of seeing someone as either good or bad and feeling like you're at war with people all the time. They're either on your team or they are fighting against you, which has made conversations very difficult. And it also makes showing up as yourself very difficult. I mean, on Mm -hmm. social media, for example, during campaign season, everyone's trying to figure out, do I post? Do I not post? What do I say? What I don't say? I mean, I thought back to, I was watching the Taylor Swift documentary. I love Taylor Swift the other day. And she was, and she like had made a comment. She was like panicking over whether or not to post about the election and post her perspective. In that documentary, I do. (laughs) Such, I feel like such an important moment that documentary because I think that's something that everyone kind of deals with. Like, should I post about it? Should I talk about it? Should I open this conversation with my friends or with my loved ones? I mean, I feel like using the political example is the easiest one right now because Mm -hmm. it's something we all can relate to. That everyone has some kind of perspective and opinion, Mm -hmm. and a lot of people have a different one. And it's terrifying to know if you can talk in a room because you don't know how people are going to respond. So I love the way you're looking at it as not only taking care of yourself, but educating yourself so that the way that they're feeling so that you can understand in their mind that maybe they're not met, they're not intentionally trying to be against you. They're not malicious. And like, yeah, for me, at first, I tried to just think positive thoughts about them. And that just never worked. Like I... 
was still full of resentment. But once I learned more and more and more, I could understand them better. I could see them as decent people and still hold to my convictions. And when I say decent people, I mean like good people. Like I can have best friends who are all across the political spectrum. And like, that's really good for my soul. That makes me much more well-rounded because when I was in a place where I thought people who, you know, have a different political affiliation than me, when I thought of them as villains, then anybody who goes through the, through life thinking that half of the people they interact with must be villains is going to be a very jaded, a very tired, a very frustrated person. And so getting out of that, they're all villains mindset is for their good. You'll treat them much more kindly. You know, your tone will be better and maybe you'll actually get your ideas across better, but it's also been seriously for my good. Um, and I think that, yeah, I just have so many convictions about how I truly think that the us versus them, the team mentality, all of that stuff was really, really hard for my mental health. And so seeing, reaching a place of nuance and understanding and all of that and I try to share that with, you know, people who follow me online or who listen to my podcast or whatever. My my secret little ulterior motive is hoping that, you know, if I can be this nuanced voice, the one that cuts through us versus them, sure, I'll inform them about social issues. I'll help them understand um, issues related to race better. But also, I can help break them out of an us versus them mindset because I know what it's like to be captive to that. And I know what it's like to be living in fear and in anger. And so I see that as like a second little part of what I do. And it's a part that means a lot. I love and admire that so much. It's so important to break from that us versus them mindset. So many different ways. I mean, none of us deserve to go through life feeling like we're at war with everyone around us looking to looking for everyone's ulterior motives every single day all right. day i mean it's terrifying it's terrifying when you're wondering if you can trust the person next to you right and you're questioning their motives questioning your own motives questioning every single piece of life and mm -hmm. you never get that full effect of just living in the moment of finding happiness of feeling free of feeling free to have conversations about whatever you want to talk about showing up as who you are and being the most authentic version of yourself. It's hard when you're terrified all day to show who you are because you're putting a wall up around yourself as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my hope is that, you know, for me, it was us versus them thinking that had a lot to do with my thought distortions um, and seeing the world as a battle between good people and evil people. But, you know, that could be a common thing for a lot of people. I Like you said, politics is kind of a very big thing. And especially if you view your political affiliation as like a strong personal identity, then that makes you especially susceptible to the us versus them thinking. Um, but also, yeah, whatever different experiences people have, like being really aware of that. And like we've talked about, CBT helps us to like become aware of what our thoughts are, where they might be leading us astray. Um, and in that same way, I hope that everybody listening can just pay extra attention to those things and be constantly checking whether your feelings are valid because they might not be and that might be good news. Yes. And it's not to say like, I feel like it's, your feelings, what you're feeling is valid. However, yes, if you're feeling, it might not be true. <laughs> yes. And I feel like that's so, I really want to clarify that because I can see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, later. Yeah. no, but yeah. it's true that 
sometimes what you're feeling is not true because what you're thinking is not true because you're telling yourself the worst things about yourself. If you're feeling insecure, not taking away that insecurity, but you may not need to feel insecure because you may be amazing. You probably are amazing. Yes. Yes. It's a little tongue in cheek phrase because what it really means is when I say your feelings aren't always valid, what I mean is your thoughts aren't always accurate. And if the thoughts that are giving you sad feelings or negative feelings if the thoughts themselves aren't accurate, then you don't, then those feelings are flowing from falsehoods. So that's what makes them not valid. But yeah, they're valid, feel them, whatever, evaluate your thoughts. Hopefully people know what we're getting at. I'm glad you anticipated that confusion. I always do. I get, I like to get myself in trouble a lot. So (laughs) always paying attention, but Mm -hmm. it's so important to recognize that what we're thinking does impact how we're feeling. What we're feeling is going to impact how we're thinking. Mm -hmm. They go together. So if you're thinking negatively about yourself, if you are constantly afraid of everything around you, afraid of who you are, afraid to have conversations, just if you're feeling afraid, if you're not feeling great, if you're not thinking great about yourself, they may overlap and that's okay. But that also means that when you are thinking poorly, you're feeling poorly because of those negative thoughts that feeling doesn't have to be accurate and you deserve to feel better than that. You deserve to think highly of yourself, to love yourself and to feel the joy of loving yourself. Mm-hmm. Beautifully said. Thank you. Marie, you have been absolutely incredible. I've enjoyed talking with you so much. But as we're wrapping up, can you offer one piece of advice to our listeners? Ooh, that's a great question. My advice would be to that. I keep questioning. I've got like so many different things in my mind, but I'll I'll just base my advice off of the structure of cognitive behavioral. There's the cognitive, there's the behavior. So cognitively, my advice would be to evaluate your thoughts and to interrogate them, figure out whether they're accurate, figure out whether you're being led astray and um, act accordingly, maybe revise them, that kind of thing. And then from the behavioral side, like in my journey, a big part of it was um, becoming an expert in the things I used to be so afraid of. And so not being afraid to enter into the situations and the conversations that used to scare me. Um, Not being afraid doesn't happen before. It's not like the thing that comes before the experience. It's what follows it. Um, And so also just knowing that fear or discomfort or whatever isn't a sign that you're feeling, but it's a sign that you might be progressing through new territory. And that's a win. That's not a loss. So that's my very long win. And that amazing advice it was. Marie, thank you so (laughs) much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to Normalize the Conversation. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This podcast is an initiative of Inspiring My Generation. Focusing on normalizing the conversation bringing education and awareness to the forefront, and amplifying global voices to spark change and hope. Inspiring My Generation is a 501c3 nonprofit organization on a mission towards suicide prevention through awareness, conversation, education, and support. Connect with us on Instagram at inspiringmygeneration and visit our website inspiringmygeneration.org to learn more about our work and how you can make a difference.